about social needs assessment was we were wondering if um, the T if TPAC is universally supported by math and science secondary education professors at Curry. Well, I mean, if you're talking about math, you're talking sugar problem. But actually, the whole idea wasn't called TPAC. The whole idea was the there have been a couple of doctoral dissertations done on this um, in, at Curry. But what we now call TPAC just originated from the fact probably one time Dave Morrison started out uh, an answer by Dave Morrison is the founder of ISTE. And he started out in an answer when the Sumerians invented writing. And I could tell that maybe he was going to go into too much depth. <laughs> well, I have that same difficulty. But in 1982, so just stand back. But in 1982, the Curry School reorganized. We got a new dean, Jim Cooper. We went to Graves Mountain Lodge. We spent two days. And we tried to think about what the Curry School would do, you know, when it reorganized. And as part of that reorganization, we came up with three themes to run through the whole school. Uh, one of which was uh, multicultural education, uh, and, and another of which was uh, integrating technology into every special ed was the third. And so, out of that came an idea that we. I sort of was standing on the, the Grace Mountain on the porch looking out over the mist. And Jim Cooper came out with his coffee because he got money from the provost for us to all stay there overnight. And I said, you know, what we ought to do is recruit in each of the core content areas of math, science, language, arts, and social studies a professor who would have a grounding in that content area but also integrated, interested in integrating technology. And so we wound up recruiting uh, Joe Garofalo for education, Randy Bell, who's just gone on to become the dean, associate dean at Oregon for science education. We recruited uh, social studies uh, education. Uh, first, uh, uh, Cheryl, Cheryl Mason, uh, you know, in English. So, so the whole idea then sort of naturally arose that we'd have this constant conscious effort, starting back in 1982, to develop a faculty over time, just being very patient, that would focus uh, on each thing with, with an interdisciplinary perspective. Now, we didn't call it TPAC, but the whole idea was that each discipline, the way technology would best be integrated, would be specific to the discipline. And, and so later, uh, it became popularized as TPAC. But, so I think within Curry, there, as I said, there have been several dissertations about this. Uh, but Curry is one of the strongholds that goes back almost before anybody else sort of even was thinking about this, this approach. And so TPAC and the Curry School, actually, if you're talking to a guy like Joe Garofalo, he finds it incomprehensible that you could approach it any other way. Now, he didn't call it TPAC, but in essence, that's 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 sort of bred into our DNA. So whether we call it TPAC or not, if you come to the Curry School and you work with teacher ed faculty, you're going to get a kind of exposure of this concept. I don't know, Mabel, does that kind of 
And Professor Dexter has uh, this background in not only but a science teacher, so she, in the Kenley Project, has a deep understanding of that, uh, but has come to the Cray School to kind of have this dual, we, we extended that uh, to leadership, where she would have a joint appointment between the administration and supervision department, preparing principals and superintendents, but also weaving technology so, so that, that in the Ken Lee Project, you know, you've got principals and superintendents and other people on the leadership team that, that can consciously facilitate that point of view. So, so we've worked for a very long time and hired a great many faculty around this idea. Probably there's not another, well, there may, I don't know every school of that, but there's, you know, we've, as I said, done a lot of research in this area, and there, there may be some, but there's not a whole lot that have done it. Usually when you change the dean, it's like Pharaoh's on the pyramid. And so the old Pharaoh starts tearing down the previous guy's pyramid and building a new one. And so you get schools of that. If you look at the wake like a wake of a ship, they sort of zigzag. Every, and what we've done is over at least five deans over, what is from 1982 to now, that's three years, five deans over a 30-year period, we've had this consistent trajectory. And, and you rarely find that. So, but this is your time. Sorry, I was late. Hi, I'm Sarah Dexter. Do you want to give me a prompt? Well, um, they've been working on the prompt. Okay. So dive in, guys. Sarah. The most important um, aspects of TPAC, since it is kind of a very open-ended, broad subject, you know, technology is huge. Um, what do you expect students to be able to do, and teachers? you know, right out of the gate, what was our main you focus? you say students, you mean pre-service teachers? Yes. Okay. Well, um, I think that the main thing for pre-service teachers is that they would have developed a habit of mind for um, when and where to consider technology in light of lesson planning. So they're not going to have this deep repertoire of experiences, but they've got, they can have developed a planning um, mindset for how they approach them wherever they go to work and what they find is the curriculum and the consideration of the resources that they've got there. So I think that's a very important goal uh, for pre-service teacher programs is to instill um, that instructional design mindset that it is my responsibility to create learning experiences that students are going to have to interact with the content and know what they're trying to, first of all, that their learning outcomes drive the selection of the technology. Okay, so they think, what am I trying to teach? Then they say, oh, is this, you know, technology got, you know, a fit in there anyway. And then to think more carefully, does technology add any value to what it is that I would be doing? You know, what are my other options? And then I'd say lastly, to turn, and if the answer first is, I know what my outcomes are, yes, technology in there, so can these other things. When I weigh all of the things, I see technology really adds value. It is, you know, check, it's still the best way for me to approach what it is I'm trying to get students to learn and do or be able to show me. And then thirdly, to consider, like, well, how can I gain further insight into the student's mind, their learning, a process of content by the kind of product or the way that they engage with the technology, to think of it in terms of its affordances for assessment as well as for interacting with content. 
So I think for those pre-service teachers, that's what you want to send them out the door with, is you know, the development of a habit of mind that technology is inserted into their planning um, algorithm you know, in appropriate ways. And also for more novice practicing teachers, yes. right? Yeah, that would have, yes. So where you have um, people who already have a deep repertoire of here's how I do it and it works, that's a different kind of issue then, right, to get them to consider technology because they're, if they're using other ways of approaching things and it works in their mind, then um, it's a, the problem is convincing or showing uh, this actually offers you an even better way. Or look what you gain if you're willing to lose some efficiency by doing it the way you've always done it, and instead invest in learning a bunch of extra stuff, redesigning a bunch of things, coming up with new assessments. I mean, it's a lot of work to integrate well. And so we're all normal humans. We like to sort of do what is going to be the best choices. And, and you might find rationale for uh, getting someone to change how they've already done things in terms of it adds efficiencies for them. It might be rationale of how the teacher's problem is going to get solved. It might be a rationale that you um, provide teachers in terms of the student's problem of learning. Like they might know. Their students always have a hard time grasping this concept, concept X in topic Y. Yep. And when they see, oh, I think that would actually add to my ability to get the students to learn something, then that's a very strong motivator. And I think that we can't just consider teachers, um, in-service experience, teachers who already have a pretty smooth operating rationale of how they do things and why they do things. You can't assume they're going to just want to use the technology, that they're going to want to upend things. I mean, sometimes people do. We all know. We're probably those people who are like, oh, it's new. I like it, you know? But most people are not like that. Even I'm not. I'm sort of like, I'm not the early adopter on most things. I'm like, uh, I'll let Janair figure it out for me, and then he'll tell me <laughs> the most efficient way to do it. And then when he's got, like, Google Rational, you know, Google Route figured out, okay. Uh, I'm kidding, but he actually did do that last summer with some like, should we use Evernote? Should we use Google Docs? Should we do this? Should we do that? What would be most efficient? And because I don't have enough time, you know, so I can I can totally relate to those teachers. You know, I gotta get stuff done. That's his defined time for work, you know. Whereas if that was my work time, and I would invest in it and stuff. But I digress. Um, so I think that is the main responsibility we have as technology promoters is to actually find the most added value uses and then present them to experienced teachers in a way um, so that they can um, see best examples. It's like you want to instill in them. I think your question was what do you, what can we expect of experienced teachers? You want to have them have the internal criteria for knowing good use of it when they see it, and then recognize, um, you know, what, how they would incorporate it into their practice. Then it turns into that same sort of thinking process of pre-service uh, teachers. But I think, you know, to to make instead of just doing what you're doing, to be willing to change it, you have to have a reflective stance towards it, and that's probably the hardest thing at all of all is to say, you know, what am I doing that's not exactly does that answer yeah, your question? No, that, I was a little more vague on the second no, no, audience of in-service teachers, but 
The other answer is we're asking Bert to figure it out in his class yeah. that he's teaching. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a follow-up question from that in terms of what what we should expect pre-service teachers to take away from the course. Is there a set of predetermined technologies that need to be covered in a sense? Um, or because I'm thinking if you try to approach problems in a classroom or in a, in a content area, you might find different problems and you might find different, you might come to different solutions with different technologies and you could have two sections of the same course that, that look very different. Yeah. And so is there a grounding in the technology that needs to be I've, covered? I personally, but this is more my personality type, I like to sort of, you know, have things a little bit narrowed down, not to make people do certain things, but it's not efficient for everyone to, you know, invent every section of G450 every single semester and for then the methods course to potentially diverge and not allow for reinforcement of those same things. So I, I'm in favor, I'm looking at my colleagues here, I'm in favor of coming up with a semi-shorter list for science, for math, for social studies, for language arts, because we should be able to provide rationale while why a list these of problems or a list of technologies. Technologies. Okay. But but put in content terms because we never just want to start with the technology. So you start with the problem and you find like these technologies offer real particular advantage, so then they are the technology. So you've begun with the problems, but and Glenn, I know you yeah. have given this a fair amount of thought for the elementary section in terms of consulting with the methods faculty yeah. that they will study with in the year following. Yeah. And so why don't you comment briefly on that? Well, I mean, one thing that I'm fairly certain of, and I think Sarah agrees, to make this work, we've got to have it in every single course. And so Bert can do the best job in the world, but if he introduces a way to teach elementary math effectively and Robert Berry doesn't continue that, mm -hmm. we're not going to get anywhere. So, and so, the supervising teacher doesn't even know about it. Right. It, it, exactly. And so what we have to have happen, Bert lays the foundation by consulting with Robert Berry. Robert Berry continues to do it in elementary math methods class. And when they do their practice in the schools, they're working with teachers who have maybe ideally been in the TEP program. So, so that we've actually worked with those teachers. Now, in practice, we fall short because it's hard to, to make it consistent through the whole program. But that's, you know, we, we've done dissertations like for, not for elementary yet, but for secondary science and secondary math, we followed our, one of Joe Garfalo's students uh, uh, ran up uh, a huge bill of uh, mileage. She went like, I don't know how many thousands of miles, crossing Virginia, going in to teachers in their second and third year after graduation to see what, yeah. And it turned out that it actually did change their teaching practice when they got in the classroom. But it has to be consistent every single semester to achieve that. And it's not easy to sort of not drop the ball at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the useful reference for this class in thinking about the secondary science, math and science, but we're only doing science, would be Jenny Chu, yeah. Jennifer May. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Jenny Chu and Jen Meng. We, 
we have to be sure that what we're doing is something they would want to continue in Belmont. You know, and then that, it doesn't matter how great it is, uh, I guess Yash is going to currently teach that class. Yash could do a superb job. He but, is doing it. And he, he is doing a superb Thank job. you, advisor. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, no, I would second that. He's, he's doing an extraordinary job. But he can do an extraordinary job, and if Jen Bang doesn't build on that, it's not, it's not going to have an impact. Right. And I think the other thing, I wrote a paper once, why uh, technology integration must extend beyond the college walls. And we actually had data, um, I, a program I instituted at the University of Minnesota in 1999 was very TPACky like we yeah. didn't call it that either but yeah. we you know paired the methods course instructors and the technology course instructor together to figure out which technologies are they both going to teach but then um, educated the supervising teachers at all as well and asked them and, and created in their they, they were taking it to class when they're actually out student teaching you know they have to coming back to campus every so often and doing something and just had it as a requirement simply said you're required to integrate technology and that along with the context of the supervising teachers being able to reinforce it or provide, provide some access you know predicted the fact that they would integrate and so it's um, you know following that connection beyond in the teaching program here to what they're being asked to do out in the school is going to only reinforce that mm -hmm. arc. So I would continue the arc past technology and methods course to make sure you're incorporating consideration of the student teaching experiences, the field experiences. And, and you'll find that to be true in Jogar Hall's class and Jen Main's class, you know, that they deliberately identify teachers who are going to give that. You know, who, in many cases, uh, you know, like for Joe, they're his students who have gone through the math education program here mm -hmm. and now are experienced master teachers who have learned to do it the way Joe, Joe believes it sh should be done. And so then when he places a student teacher in that classroom, he can be confident that they'll be getting a, a really superlative experience. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yes. Short answer is yes, there should be a list. <laughs> <laughs> It needs to be thoughtfully selected. Yeah. And, and, and Jenner should do it. <laughs> uh, I kind of expect to know what the answer to this question is. Should we plan on this course being facilitated with CoLab, or is there another learning environment that we will be using? Hard, hard to imagine anything that could be better. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there will be something else, but that remains to be seen. I mean, there are other tools, but whether they're widely accessible to everybody, you know, is not yet institutionally supported. So right now, you could go out and do a Moodle course if you knew how to set one up. Um, Yash is using this CanLead space that we're using for our project. Um, you were also going to, you were thinking of setting it up in, what's that other one? Edmodo. Edmodo. Anybody can go to get Edmodo. I just was looking at the very, very beta thing at Google. Yeah. You know, and so theoretically, you could do something other than collab, but I feel like as a, because my field of leadership, I'm always thinking at an organizational level, I think our institution has more responsibility to 
its students and its faculty than to just say, if you can, we're going to give you a semi-okay tool. If you could do something better, great. Go, go, go do it. Figure it out yourself. Implement it. Do all your own support and so forth. So, you know, will there be? I don't know. Because this space of leadership for online learning is a little loose right now. There's another really aggravating aspect of this, which is ideally if we had our act together, the very process of having the, kid, the future teachers go out would be the sort of thing they could take out with them themselves. And, and you know how we've sort of used the wiki, you guys can make your own wiki pages, and then if somebody's just routinely doing it, then, then when they go out, they, they're in the habit of doing that. We, we don't really do that in our, you know. Yeah, not around. And, uh, you know, the Department of Ed has said that by 2020, half of all high school classes are going to be online, I think. Well, that's a prediction, but what is required is that you have to give every graduating <laughs> student an online course experience. They are required now, as of this year. So school districts are scrambling. Like, what they're going to do, whether they're going to make a kind of grow-your-own program and way of teaching online, or they're going to just contract that our students can take an online course from somewhere, but that is currently the law, that every student to graduate has to have had an online course. Every so student to graduate from high school. high school. Yeah. You said an online course, you mean an online learning experience. Yes. Said course? Okay. I said course, because I think it is course. Like, it's not just it's you went online once. Right. Unfortunately, Sarah Dexter is providing leadership to develop a Curry Online Innovation Committee that's going to come up with all the answers. I think we'll just sit back and wait for the answer to emerge. <laughs> so when we're envisioning this, you don't have a parameters for the physical environment of the online community. Oh, yeah, but it's just, I mean, I have one. Um, you guys are working on Discord. I mean, there's there are things, but I, I'm not in charge of it. You want to give me the magic wand? I'll wave it. But and then step back. Yeah. <laughs> but but there is no like there's no body in charge that has said this is going to happen. And okay. Exactly how that's going to come together organizationally is more still in process than. All right. Is emerging rather than clear. But it, but it's on President Sullivan's agenda. <laughs> so would you recommend to them since the. Uh, environmental solution is still in the process of being articulated, that they design something that could be ported easily to a variety so of that, environments? That brings up a question. That's exactly what I was going to ask. It's, uh, being the engineer and coming from that, has you got some design constraints for us? Um, no. I don't think there are very many constraints from my point of view because you can program almost anything. But here's what the answer to the first question Mabel asked. Um, I think that you should focus on the learning experiences, the interactions of the student with the content, what it is that you think is essential for the development of the necessary technology knowledge, how it's going to get merged with the pedagogical content knowledge, which is also under development, but not largely the purview of 3, 4, 5, 0. Well, we're going to have a mod two modules. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a third, but one specifically to immerse them in a TPAP frame. Yeah. So but, but, I mean, it's stronger than it is now. Right. So, you know, I think you and I talked about this last year, 
it came out of this nice report that Barbara Means did of examining the impact of online or what are the best practices in online learning. It's a nice meta-analysis that I think she did in 2010. But she talked about interactions between learners, interactions with the instructor, and interactions with the material. I think that's a very solid planning framework to think about what it is that develops that TPAC understanding. So you know you've got to have examples, you've got to have opportunities to plan lessons, you've got to have opportunities to learn the technology. And then the rest is, you know, where, what benefit do you get out of, like, where do students have to demonstrate something? What kind of feedback do they get on it? Where do they interact with each other? Where does doing it by themselves versus doing it with other students um, provide the necessary way? And or do you want to have options because not everybody learns them the same way or prefers the same sort of things? And so beyond that, I mean, um, this was far from me. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good report. And 2010? I think so. It's or 09. Yeah. Either 09 or 10. Well, I mean, once you guys look at it, we can set up a conference call with her if you want. But um, as far as like the technologies, I mean, we're in the middle of making this learning space called Can Lead, and you know, we can do almost any sort of interaction. Now, you don't get to always be that programmer and that designer yourself, you maybe got to use something that's in in existence. But I don't think that the kind of interactions that you want to have should be the limiting factor. Like you should design for, and it could all be planned on paper, um, and then you lobby for what the software needs to do. I, I'm, I'm hedging on the question because like for, for, for me, and if I was in charge, and I'd say, well, you just can't leave. We would just design what's missing. You know, we would plug in discourse. We would plug in display. We would do all these things. But I don't know that I'll get to that charge. I don't know if that's a helpful answer to your question, but that's how I see it. Because I usually want to go and get programming dollars to fix the problem. And I mentioned to them that you have offered for them to use a mirrored site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, Josh is using that right now for his section of 3450, so he's a good engineer, is intimately familiar with it as well. And so, and actually, we're using it for the leadership for IT course, so there's a couple more people who know it from that. And so, there's a lot of familiarity in your class with what it does and doesn't do. So, is it possible for the rest of us to have access to it so that we can know? Because one of the questions that um, we wanted to ask, because Mabel was kind enough to suggest it to us, was whether or not it should be hybrid or solely online. Or, and, yeah. And I, I uh, don't have any idea what Can Lead looks like. I know Moodle, because I've designed courses on Moodle. Yeah. I know yeah, yeah. Collab. Sure. Um, Jenner or... Um, Josh, could you guys could clone the math and the science course, or both of them, and make if you guys just register, then you can both either one of you could mass add people to the course, so you'd see what we're doing with in-service teachers as well as the content is inherent in. Um, and you have a hybrid model. 
right? Yeah, we, well, we're working with these leadership teams. We met with them face-to-face -face in August to sort of say, here's what you've gotten yourself into, and then we meet with them actually Wednesday for tomorrow. And then they are online. Like, I'll probably go to the schools and I'll talk to them on the phone. And they're not really in a course, they're in practice, you know, so it's a very different issue. But this is a really important question and it's something, Glenn, I think you should weigh in on. They would like to know, as they are redesigning these 3450 modules, should they be hybrid, as the elementary section currently is, with some in on-site experiences and some online experiences? Should it be all online? Well, I can, I, I can tell you where I think, based on conversations with Laura Smokin and Stephanie Van Hover, where we're headed. And uh, this is the former and current department chair of our Right, and, and Laura Smokin is going to take on some responsibilities for strategic planning that include advancing online learning within the Curry School. Uh, which, hey Peter, could, could you grab Peter? So, so, so ultimately what they want to do is have online courses. Okay, in the Curry School we're doing these development of hybrid courses. If it'll save time, do you want to just park in the garage when you come back? You know what, um, Bree just lent us her car and she, has, she has a handicap sticker, so. <laughs> I, I don't want to hear it. Don't, I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> we're going to take it off. Go, 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 go. Park close. So. Go, go. No, leave it on. Park so, I don't want to hear it. Uh, so, so, so I think what they hope for is that we at least have one version that can be done. We're supposed to do next spring uh, a completely online version for Sandy Cohen in Northern Virginia. And so ultimately... Well, I don't know if it's going to happen, but they... See this? I'm going to interject. Yeah. This kind of thing drives me crazy. Like we're going to do a completely online version for why. Why do we know? Like, I think that whether you're meeting people face-to-face, -face, part of the time, all of the time, or never, there should be rationale for it. And um, it should be I grounded think, in they, the I interactions. I think Sandy doesn't want to drive to North Virginia. Well, that's... <laughs> so, yeah, that's not right. But, but sometimes there are institutional characteristics. Well, that but they're not something. around faculty choice. I mean, that's where, like, I'm like, that's not right. We don't offer programs that are totally online because I don't feel like getting in the car. I mean, I'm, I just think that's wrong. It should be like the no, online. We do it because Helen Dragas wants. To. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, excuse me. I mean, like, I, you guys know me. Like, I'm give for, for, you know, tend to swear, but I was gonna say that's baloney. That's not what I was going to say, but anyway, um, I just think it's wrong. The, it's like the learning outcomes should drive the selection of the technology, including whether it's totally online or partially face-to-face. -face. And we as designers feel that way, Good. that's important. So that's the answer to the question, I think, is can, is it possible for people who have never um, you know, seen each other and don't know anything about teaching to learn to use technology in deep, meaningful ways without meeting? I don't know until you, you, you can't just answer that question at first, until you come to a really good Ideally, we shouldn't. But what they're asking is, are there any institutional demands that they need to be aware of? We are. Sometimes it's not. 
Yeah, we've done that. You know, if I were chair of CIC, and I'm not, perhaps the answer would be different. But the end of what we've been told to do is to make an online course available. Now, I guess but we could say... But be this... Well, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the uh, 3450, uh, we've been told that they want that capability so that okay, they can do time. This is where the people but, who, but can, say we refuse. who have the capability to think more deeply about it and know more about the topic, you can't advocate for the design of it if you don't understand what is the learning that is trying to go on. I know you guys are considering that really deeply. and then um, that's where the answer should come from. And I, I think the institution deserves, the students deserve pushback on the institution if that proposed solution, which was just drawn up out of thin air for logistical reasons, doesn't prove to actually provide the kind of learning space. So, so the other option would be just to drop the technology requirement for that cadre. Well, you're... I thought that was my job. <laughs> but, well, I mean, it, but, I mean, well, well, I mean, I guess the answer is that everything we do at a university is a compromise from lots of different people pushing and pulling. And what happens is that it winds up sort of being the center, uh, intersection of all the different perspectives. So Professor Dexter has one view, Professor Smokin has another. Uh, Sandy Cohen has, our former director teacher Ed has another. And ultimately it comes down to who, who is set up the charge. It could be the Dean Bob Bianca, it could be the department chair. And then, and then the people that actually have to implement it and do the work. You but know, here's what I see because I, I emphasize the organizational view, but with, you know, a learning one too, is that there's a lot of rules that are getting rewritten right now. Things about, um, you know, enrolling people, things about faculty load, things about compensation. A lot of stuff is up for grabs right now. And where an organiz where a program wants to advocate for, we're going to meet in a different configuration of time and space, and it's driven by the actual learning needs. I think there's room for that to be entertained, and um, and be properly uh, funded and incentivized and so forth. And so I think that the best thing to do is try and come up with the best design and then say, why can't this work? Um, I, especially when it's out of the gate. We do not have a big online solution. We don't have big online programs. We are just articulating how our reach to other geographic centers is going to work within the whole thing that is created. Everything is up for grabs right now. None of it is preset. So, the, so the and so it's important to come up with. Here's the ideal. Now you know it will get chopped away at. There are organizational constraints and there's you know issues, but why not start from the beginning instead of starting from the accepted? Well, we want it online because that's so far so, away. so the other answer I guess is. The pragmatic answer is, since Bert's the guy that would drive to Northern Virginia, not me, I don't care. Well, I'm still confused. As, I mean, for the purpose of this class, we need to pretend, I suppose, mm -hmm. that it's Yash's class next, next year that they want to be online, and not my class. Well, I mean, and it's I, all the sections, because they, what is the reality is they are forming a cadre that they're hoping to teach online in Northern Virginia. 
And I'm not in charge of that. I don't know very much about it other than they've asked us, can we have 3450 online? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, we're not far enough along to know. Mm -hmm. Or at least I don't but, know. But you know, the maybe, hybrid maybe not. sort of thing of, you know that hybrid offers almost every possible combination. I mean, it's a very loosely defined thing. Some people have tried to say, well, hybrids, class is hybrid when 50% of it's online, but that's just a made up definition. Was that, was you going to say the line again? No, it's just made up. I mean, you could say it's 75% or 25%. It doesn't matter, really. But what you're saying is like, where do we actually need to have these people meet each other? Where would that serve their later interactions? Because we know that group processing of information, social construction of knowledge has value and people can see things from others' perspectives. And can that totally um, develop in an online space? It can and it has, but it can also be greatly facilitated by the fact that people have met each other, they've looked at each other, they did some sort of icebreaker thing, they understand who each other is, right? So could you have some sort of initial meeting and then have some online things and have people look at things online? depends on what you are asking them to do and process about it, I think. And then, when do you actually need them to come together? It's really around the interactions of the material that I think should drive this. I have finally, after like teaching this class for, I don't know, 10 semesters, come up with a configuration in my own class that I do for uh, leadership people, in people studying to be principals, and it's in Northern Virginia. So I had the option, like, do I want to drive there every week? Some people do. They'll pay me for it. You know, I get mileage and stuff. I actually make money, theoretically, on driving up there and back, you know. So that's an option. Or could it be totally online? Or is it going to be some kind of thing? And I uh, ended up being making it hybrid and creating the day-long activities the Saturdays to be times that there's really no way that they could do the same thing. They form leadership teams, simulated leadership teams, and they have to work out uh, something as if in a group meeting and um, come to consensus. Uh, so without going into a lot of detail, the point is that I don't believe they could come to that same product in that sort of way, in that quality way, by meeting even, even synchronously online. But the times in between where they're discussing some things in small groups or they're hearing from me, we meet online. And so I pick the timing of when we meet online and when we meet face to face to be around the interactions around the material. Is your online meeting video, audio, chat? Yeah, from it's been all? synchronous. And then there's some asynchronous follow up. And then we meet face to face. So you do use video, Skype, or? We use Collab. Collaborate, excuse me, not Collab. But Blackboard Collaborate is a tool mm -hmm. that the university owns or gets a license to, I should say. So uh, back to my point is that for us as faculty, because we have to plan our class meetings, like right now we're planning spring and behind on turning in spring meeting dates, I'd have to be that far ahead in planning the actual content interactions, you know, to get that class scheduled and so forth. And I'm saying to you that that's where I think you should start, is what's it take for someone to interact with a new piece of technology they've never used before, where they're trying to bring together their understanding of what it means to teach, period. Like, I understand the concept of velocity, but do I, have I developed like ways that I can give examples, um, what it means to assess it, what I'd be looking for, where are students likely to get stuck, do I have any analogies, do I have any models, do, you know, that's my pedagogical 
capacity. I'm developing that as an increased service teacher. require with philosophy being a core principle. Exactly. So they have to develop.